The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. All right, we're going to dive right into our text. I am not Pastor Brian, for those of you who are new here today. I am his wife and his thorn. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I, um, Pastor Brian has been teaching through the book of Matthew, and so he asked me to, to um, share in the teaching this morning, and so I get the privilege of doing that. Um, let's just pray. Lord God, I just pray for every single person in this room. Lord, not a one of us is here by accident. You have a message for each and every one of us, Lord, and it will be different because of where we all are in life. But I pray for each person, Lord, that they feel a touch from you, that all of me would go away, and that they would encounter your goodness, your grace, your mercy, and your love. I pray, Lord God, that the the mountains and the trials that they are facing, Lord God, would look different as they walk out this door today. So we praise you. We give you all glory, all honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So Pastor Brian's been teaching through Matthew. We are at Matthew 20. And so it's the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And it says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers in the vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went And he went out again about noon and three in the afternoon. And he found still others standing around. Excuse me. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them for their wages, beginning with the last ones and then going to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and received each a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. You have made them equal to us. You have borne the burden of work, who have borne the burden of work and heat of the day. But he answered them, am I being un- not being unfair to you? Friend, didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I, wa- I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave to you. Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. And so when we look at this passage, we first see that this is written f- for the Jews, for the Gentiles that are coming into the kingdom. And that's one way to look at it, that they will come later, but yet still will receive the same inheritance. It also can be compared to the people that will be the thief on the cross, the people that at the end of their life, the, the inmates in, uh, on death row that give their life to the Lord, that they too will have the same inheritance. But what's interesting is that the vineyard owner went out five times, and that biblical number The biblical meaning of the number five is God's goodness and his grace. And I think that is really what the point of this parable is about, but it's also about the heart of God. That is the heart of God. He is good and he is gracious. And the last will be first and the first will be last is just that 
we are not part of the, we are not bound by the natural laws. And, and God, the kingdom of heaven is not bound by the laws of, of our natural world. And then God does things differently. You think about Romans 8.28. It says that God works all things to the good for those who love him. Now, I don't know about you, but when things go bad in people's lives, I might have the tendency to say, mm, you kind of deserve that or those are natural consequences. But God promises that anything we bring under his submission, he will work for the good. That is nothing short of miraculous and is absolutely incredible and really speaks of the character and nature of God. And God looks at heart, not time served. So you could be in the church all your life, but someone who has the heart to really to leave everything and to pursue the heart of God has that this, this same, God honors his heart more than our own, quite frankly. But what I really want to talk about today and what I feel like the message for us today is the message of the workers in the vineyard, because that's us. Which is, um, and there's a glaring question in there for each and every one of us. And maybe it's because I'm a mother of five, but I, when I look at, when I read the word and study the word, I, I look for attitudes that are blessable and attitudes that are not blessable or that need um, some kind of change. And so um, we always do what we think about. We eventually, what we think about becomes what we do. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And so my heart for Valley Metro Church and for my children and for myself is that we would always stay in the circle of blessing. And what in the world does that mean? That's an easy term to say that if we stay, if we do God's word, that we're under his protection and we're under his blessing. And I think we have a graphic for that. Um, and so basically what we do when we obey the word of God, we are within God's realm of protection. But when we step outside and we say, you know what, that part of my life I'm not going to obey God in, then we are open for attack. Because God, where God directs us, he protects us. But when we go outside of the word of God, we're on our own. And that's why so often that we will feel the weight of sin in our own life because we've got stepped outside of where God had, what he's called us to do. And there are 8,000 promises in this book. 8,000, that is one-fourth of this book is filled with God's promises. But the thing about God's promises is that they only apply when we obey his word. And so you may see people that you think, well, why do they still struggle? Well, often, all the time, it's because we've stepped out. We're, we're going to have trials in this world. But when we step outside, for instance, okay, adultery is an obvious one, right? When we step outside, we're in sexual immorality. What, we are not under God's protection, and therefore his promises don't apply to our life. But when we gossip, when we complain, we stepped outside God's protection because he, that's not how he created us to be. And in order to experience his blessings, we have to be, obey and to walk in, in obedience. And so um, he is, we can't live in one world and expect freedom in the next. We can't live in this natural world by the things of the culture and the, the, the things of our flesh, the things we just want to do, and expect God to bless us. Does that make sense? Yes. All right. Amen. All right. So the first and most obvious um, sin to me when I'm looking at the vineyard workers is that they lack compassion. Um, they lack compassion for the people that were standing in the marketplace, which is the world. 
in, in our terms, is, it's a parable, but it's, this is what Jesus is trying to tell us, is that there are people out in the world, and they lacked the compassion for even, they had stayed out there all day long, not knowing if they were going to be able to feed their family, not knowing if they were going to be able to pay their rent. They stayed out there all day long, probably in fear and stress, and yet the people in the, in the, the ones that were already working in the vineyard, they had the comfort of knowing they were going to be paid that night, their kids were going to eat, they were going to pay their car payment, right? They had the, the, the knowledge that they were taken care of. And like I said, today for us, those men that were standing there in the workplace, those are the people in the world that don't know the love of Jesus. And so the Lord, the body of Christ is called to live in compassion. And, and I'm going to just be honest here and make a little confession. I thought I, I walked in compassion because I, I see things. I even see people on the road when they're, there's like cutting me off or something. I have compassion on them. I think they're having a bad day and I can pray. But this, this week um, on Thursday, um, I was out in a, in a parking lot at a um, department store, just standing in the parking lot, about to get out of the parking lot, I mean, out of the car to go inside. And there was um, a man, and he was arguing and yelling at his wife, and he was way out of control. And, um, and then some people walked by, and he, they were just kind of looking at him because they were kind of thrown off by the situation. And so the guy, Al Dolphin, said something very derogatory to, the, to these kids. And then the, the, the guy that was with these two girls turned and just kind of looked and like, what's your deal? And the guy pulls out a gun. And this is all happening right in front of me with my youngest, my eight-year-old, right here by my head. And I had immediate compassion for the girl that was in the car with him because I could tell she was like, stop it, put that away. And I had immediate compassion for these three kids that are getting the gun pulled on them. And then I was telling a friend about it and, and just kind of like asking the Lord, what was that? Um, and... And she reminded me, she said, the Lord said that you were there to pray for the man with the gun. And I realized I judged the man with the gun, quite frankly. I had no tolerance for him. I wanted to lean him over my knee and give him a spank. I'm like, he needed some kind of holy wake-up call. But you know what? My, I, I was convicted because I didn't have the compassion that, that Jesus has told me. He was clearly tormented. He was clearly so enraged. And I don't know what happened to that man, but I'll tell you, we did pray for him through the 24-hour prayer, and I continue and prayed for him this morning. But that's the heart of Jesus, is to see the hurting, the ones that are acting out, right? Because it's easy to have compassion for people who are innocent, and not so easy to have compassion for those who are actually victimizers, the people that are tormented, right? And you know what? Self-focus and lack of compassion is a sin. And that's our first point today. It's a sin, and it will never produce the righteous life that God has prepared for us. To impact the world, we have to know our identity, know whose we are, not hide in the corner and wait till Jesus returns, but to be able to, to pray and intercede for those who are lost, to be able to see their hurt. You know, our homeless population is climbing here in L.A. We see people that are... Um, really impacted by drugs and ad addiction, and we, ha we have a huge issue with, self with, with uh, trafficking. W we have a lot of issues, 
And it's a lot of requirement for compassion, to be able to see beyond what is just right in front of us and to be able to say, beyond the smell, beyond the, the booze, beyond the drugs, there's a human being in there that is hurting and dying. And it's said that people don't know how much, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And as the body of Christ, we are called to care, to love deeply, to love beyond our, even our, our, our wildest imaginations. Do you know what? But it first requires us to take care of our own junk. Because we can't see other people and their problems until we are able to look at our own and to deal with our own and to bring them to the cross and say, Lord, I'm broken in this area. Please move mightily. Please, Lord, I, I'm struggling with this or I'm struggling with that. First Peter 3, 8 says, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Mark 12, 31 says, Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, we can't give what we don't have. And that's why this isn't a should message. This is an invitation for compassion. It's a compassion that, apart from the Holy Spirit, we'll never be able to walk in and live out. But it's a compassion partnering with God and just to let him flow through us. We'll begin to see people for their hurt and for their pain and to be able to pray and to help them out of it and to say, come and meet the one that showed me everything I've ever done. It's not that we land in any place of perfection, but that we are able to love people enough to go beyond and to see them. You know, I try whenever I go into the store, I have a tendency with five children to shop for food a lot. And when I go into the store, I try to be present, to deal with all my stuff before, whatever it is, so that I can be present and see people. And God will tell me things. He'll give me words of wisdom, words of knowledge for people in the store that I, I can just say, let me pray for you. You know, um, but we have to go beyond ourselves. Everything that Jesus created, everything that the Lord created, was created to give. And that is unlike any other religion. All other religions are what we're going to get. But we are created to give because our future is secure. Our present makes sense. Our sins are forgiven. And we can go into the world and offer answers, right? We have better than the cure for cancer. We can go into the world and change the world when we're clothed with compassion. There was a boy who was 14. His name was Christopher Sears. And he was playing basketball with one of his friends on May 16th when he was shot in the chest with a stray bullet. His friends helped him get into the, to within like 40 feet of the hospital doors. But the hospital staff refused to come out and treat him because it was against their policy to treat people outside of the hospital doors. Finally, um, a police officer found a wheelchair and wheeled him in so they could begin to, he was, so he would be helped by the hospital staff. It was too late, however. Um, he died at age 14 an hour later. And you know, churches are surrounded by people that desperately need to hear the gospel. Yet we are content and comfortable with only sharing that hope with those who manage to come inside the church doors and show an interest. And my friends, that is not what we're called to. We are called to be compassionate. When we moved from our last location, and I, we were doing a 24-hour prayer, I think, right before we moved, um, I heard the Lord say in my heart, just, I am taking you guys outside of the four walls. It is no mistake that we are right there across 
from the park. And those of you who were there with us on, on Good Friday, we saw a show of what the world and the demonic realm does when we begin to enter in to that world, right? And we don't stay in the converse of our own church walls and only minister to people. People are dying for Jesus. They're dying for us to have compassion and to care enough about them to just say, how are you doing? I want to pray for you. Um, Jesus commands us to live with compassion, to see the hurting, to see the broken, to see the, the, the world as it is, and to care enough to engage in the world. And again, you might be saying, you know what? I am doing everything I can just to prop myself up, Christy. And I, I, but you know what? I encourage that let's all be brave enough to deal with our brokenness, to deal with what we're hurting with, and to trust God with it so that we can begin to live as people of compassion. You know, the second sin that I see here that is, that is very obvious with the workers in the vineyard is the lack of gratitude. Instead of thanking the vineyard owner that they could go home, feed their kids, pay their rent, tune into Netflix, whatever, they complained. They complain. You know, I got to admit, okay, so I was saved when I was 10 years old. I think I found out complaining was a sin when I was 25. That was, that was a lot of years of complaining. And I really literally thought that it was just stating the obvious, right? And, um, and that I was being realistic. But you know what? The opposite of complaining is entitlement. And we are in a culture that is full of entitlement. And we have been, entitlement's not something new that this generation has brought in. Entitlement has been around for a long time. Think about the Israelites. And entitlement is the opposite of gratitude. It's a way of looking at life that focuses on self, lives by feelings, and lacks humility. And you may say, hmm, I don't know if I'm entitlement. Well, I brought us an entitlement test today. So I'm going to run through this. You can thank me later. And we're just going to see. I, I personally was convicted by some of these, so we're just going to see, do I struggle with entitlement? Here are seven signs that you might struggle with entitlement. First, you secretly think you're better than others, that you deserve more, and you think that your way of thinking is better. Two, you live by your feelings. You hate to be told no, and you can't stand to lose. If you don't do well, you have an excuse. Number three, you feel like the world owes you something. Number four, you demand your own way and don't participate if things aren't done your way, or at least you grumble and complain. Number five, you want things to be different, but you refuse to be part of the solution or work for change. Compromise and communication are beneath you. Number six, humility and honoring others are, a part of, are not a part of your everyday, everyday life. Number seven, you make excuses and blame others for your failures, sins, and weaknesses. So here, I am not here to condemn any of us. I am here to liberate us, and that, I think that is the heart of Jesus. Because whatever we tolerate in our life, it increases. So if we tolerate an entitled mentality, an entitled um, attitude, then it will grow in our life. But when we begin to bring in compassion and gratitude, things will change. Gratitude is absolutely the miracle pill that everybody is looking for. It makes you more attractive. It makes people want to be around you. It helps you influence others. And it has no side effects like all the other pills in the world. Um, but we're in a culture of entitlement. We have to be careful that we don't jump in the river of entitlement and just float down the stream. We have to swim upstream. And the key to that is gratitude. You know, the Israelites adopted 
that entitled mindset in Egypt. They pulled it from the Egyptians, right? And it's a lot like when we bring entitlement into our homes, the people in our homes have to decide if they're going to be entitled or if they're going to be able to switch that around and just to stand against it. So it's like any other sin in our house. Like if we bring in um, sexual immorality or gossip or slander, the people in our households have to decide, am I going to do this, right? The people you're in, your re- in the relationships that you're in, they're either going to have to be able to stand against what you're doing or they're going to, have, they're going to just be, adopt the same mindset. And that's what the Israelites did in Egypt. And they, they suffered, and God delivered them. He provided them manna every day, but they complained. They weren't grateful. Entitlement keeps us from experiencing God's blessing and his provision and his promises. And, you know, they wandered in the desert for 40 years because they didn't have gratitude, that they saw what was wrong rather than seeing what is right. When we act entitled, people don't see Jesus. They see us. You know, we used to, we came out of a church, Pastor Brian and I came out of a church where the pastor, so I was saved at 10, but then I came back to the Lord fully and completely when I was about 24. And so I, we started going to this church, or I started going to this church, which is actually where I met Pastor Brian. Um, and the pastor would always, I was doing this ministry, they had no idea what I was doing, but I was in charge of the singles ministry. And I'm doing this ministry, and things were just going wrong every single turn. And my, the pastor, our pastor, would say, this is good. And I'd be like, no, it's not. And he, it, I, I didn't understand. I was like, is this some of that weird Christianese? Like, and he's like, oh, I can't wait to see what God does with this. And I'm thinking, I know what I want to do with it. And, you know, I, I, I really was very confused. And, and it was until I learned that complaining was actually a sin and kept us stuck in our situation and that being able to trust God and have faith and walk through the situation actually propelled us out of the situation. When I began to learn that, everything changed. You know, um, 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says, Godliness with contentment is of great gain. Years ago, about, I don't know, maybe six years ago, I was going through a really hard time, just a really low point in my life, and I went out of town, and I went for a run, and I was like, Lord, I, I, I'm doing everything I know to do. What's missing? And he said one word to me. He said, gratitude. And I had been like in a kind of in a funk, which I don't, I don't normally get in funks, but I'd been in a funk for like four weeks. And I ran back to my hotel room. I made a gratitude list. I texted Brian. I texted everybody I knew to tell him how grateful I was. And instantly it broke. That, that depression or whatever you want to call that, that I was in, it, it broke because I began to focus on the right things. And gratitude is the bridge. It's the gateway to abundant soul. So my second point today is that when we complain, we remain. But when we praise, we will be raised. I know that that's just an easy way for you to remember it. If you hate the, that it rhymes, I'm sorry. Um, but um, my grandmother was an amazing example of this. Um, and she used to always say, oh, Christy, just bloom where you planted. And Because I'm always about 10 steps ahead of where I'm supposed to be um, in life, like just running. Um, she was widowed three times. She um, had six children, which is enough to make you have to rely on the Lord. She had over a million dollars embezzled from a family member from her. Um, she was having these horrific seizures. She went in. She was having headaches, too. She went in 
and she, um, she had a, an aneurysm, a brain aneurysm. And they had to do, in, in, in obviously, emergency brain surgery. They were not sure how she was going to wake up. And when she woke up, you know, they had shaved her head, and they told her what had happened. And she said, I have always wanted to start over on my hair. <laughs> she is a woman who lived a life of gratitude. She lived a life to gratitude. And she said, Christy, there is always something to be thankful for. So she, like Paul, she knew what it was like to have plenty. She knew what it was like to have nothing. And it never changed who she was. And I think she was an incredible example for me growing up because I saw her. She would write, you know, send me notes and say, just trust in the Lord. I'd be like, oh, if it was that easy. But now I know, and now I'm here to tell you that it is trusting in the Lord. It doesn't mean everything's going to be fixed today, but it means that God is going to take us and move in our situation when we can come to terms that we are not grateful people and that it's time to begin to thank him, to thank him for the trials in our life, to thank him. And, you know, we actually get into his presence by thanking him. It is, Psalm 100 says that we enter his gates with thanksgiving. We enter his courts with praise. Gratitude is the gateway that gets us into the presence of God. Why do we want to be in the presence of God? Because that's where God is. And we can't have a relationship with somebody until we are in their presence. Isn't that right? If I just walked around talking about how great Brian is, but never actually talked to him when I got home, and I just talked about all the great things he said to my friends, and I told the children, oh, how wonderful your father is, but I never actually talked to him. Would I have a relationship with him? No. And so we get into the presence of God with gratitude. It's pleasing to God. And you know what's so amazing? I tell my kids to do things. That's not amazing. But I tell my kids to do things all the time. But I don't say, and even if they turn around and they say, are you going to pay me? They only say that like one time. And then I'm like, no, I'm not going to pay you. This is your responsibility. You know, go on and on. But what does God say? Almost every promise in his word is followed. Every command in his word is followed by a promise. That is the sweet goodness of God that he promises. He's going to bless us. He's going to do good things. And, you know, I go through, and I know I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again in case it's for anybody that is in this room that hasn't heard it. I go through and highlight my Bible. I have it yellow, who God is, pink, who I am, the promises of God in green, and the commands of God in orange. And I'm telling you, I had read my Bible for about uh, probably 10, 15 years, and I started reading it this way and highlighting, and it transformed the word in my life. And I began to see only what, what am I supposed to be doing, who he is, what he promises, and who I'm supposed to be, right? You often hear that God, people say, that what is God's will for me? Well, here's God's will for you, to give thanks in all things, for this is God's will for you. That's what 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says. It says, you know what, and if we want to know the specific will of God, we need to first know the general will of God. And the general will of God is to give thanks in all circumstances. Do I give thanks when somebody, my child isn't in a wheelchair and still not healed? Yes, I do. Do we give thanks when we're having a bad day? Yes, we do. You know what it does? It takes the focus off of our circumstances and onto our Lord. One of the best pieces of marital advice I've ever gotten was to gaze at the Lord and glance at your husband. Because wherever your gaze is is where your expectation is. 
And I don't mean that bad. I could gaze at you too, but you're worth it. Um, but yeah, gratitude takes our mind off our trial. It takes the power out of the trial and puts it on the Lord who says, I will, I'll work all things to the good. And sometimes I just am like, I'm just going to stamp Romans 8, 28, because I cannot phys- mentally figure out how you're going to make this good, God, but I trust you. And I trust that you're going to work this to the good. You know, there was a well-known pastor, actually, he's like my mentor pastor, that he, um, a book was written about him from a friend that was attacking him and just really tearing down the ministry. And so he called the guy and he said, hey, just so you know, I welcome your book. He said, I welcome your book, not because I think that it's going to be good for the body, because I actually don't, but I want what's on the other side of this. And everything I've prayed is on the other side of this. And if I can't praise him through this trial, then I won't see the, the world healed. I won't see them saved and delivered and set free. And everything I have prayed for is on doing this trial well. So I welcome your book. And, and ironically, the guy ends up repenting but, and, and, and asking for forgiveness and didn't actually publish that part of the book. But, you know, if we can't praise him in loss, then we won't praise him in gain. And if we don't praise him when we have betrayal, we won't be able to praise him when we have loyal friends. You know, some of, I, I think I have come to appreciate friendships so much because of the experience of betrayal. I wouldn't have that if I wasn't able to be grateful for the trials and grateful for what God was doing. Remember that the, the job you prayed for? Give thanks for it. Don't complain anymore. Remember the spouse that you prayed for? Give thanks for him or her. Remember the baby that you prayed for? Give thanks for the teenagers that you have right? Remember the house you prayed for? Give thanks when the toilet breaks because you have one, right? It's not hard, but it's transforming to be able to walk in gratitude. But I'll tell you, our mind just naturally is wired to complain and naturally wired to see what's not working. And so we have to partner with the Holy Spirit and say, help me see what is. Help me to only let the things that come out of my mouth be praises to you. Let me be grateful for every single thing that we experience. You know, like I said, gratitude is a gateway for joy and peace. You know, and that is, is our fifth point, is that whenever we lack joy and peace, we need to ask, ask God where we've sinned. And this may sound crazy, but this goes back to Romans 14, 17. It says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy. When our peace and joy go out the window, it is because we are no longer standing in his righteousness. Because remember I talked about the circle of blessing, that we are only we are blessed and walking in his righteousness when we are within the realms of, of obedience to his word. And so when we step outside, when it, and a great barometer is joy and peace, right? Because if we don't have joy and peace, just go back and go, Lord, where have I gotten off track? That doesn't mean that anything that goes bad is your fault. But if we have fear, if we have worry, if, we, if we're stressing, then we're not walking in his joy and peace, and we're not trusting him, and we're not walking in faith. And he says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. He says, the just will walk by faith. Gratitude and compassion 
require faith. And like I said, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Complaining causes us to remain in our circumstances. And we don't really realize how much we complain until we start trying to take inventory over it. And then we realize, oh my goodness. And you know what counts? Even when it's in your head. Ooh, right? So when, when we complain, we remain in our circumstances because God can't promote us to the next level when we are still stuck in unforgiveness, lack of compassion, and in complaining. If we praise, on the other hand, we will be raised in our circumstances because we're saying, you know what, God, I trust you. Again, it's not denying that things are stinky, but it's praising him and being grateful because, you know what, I'm going to get stronger through this trial. God's going to do a great work in me. And by giving God the thanks in both the good and the bad, we're showing the world that we're not moved by our circumstances. It's a witness for every single person. Like I said, we have a child in a wheelchair, and we have prayed and prayed and prayed. In fact, some of the people that are known for, for healing ministries have prayed for our child, and yet he is not walking. But you know what? We are grateful for him because he has, through this trial, we have learned so much that honestly we would have never learned any other way. And so we're grateful for it. And we give this situation to Jesus. And we believe without a shadow of a doubt that he's going to one day run and we're going to have to tell him to slow down. But until then, we're going to walk in gratitude. We're going to stand on the word of God and not what we see with our eyes because it's heartbreaking. But we know the God in whom we trust. And we stand on his promises and not what we see. Um, Gratitude will change everything in your life and everybody around you. Isn't that amazing? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I just want to mention that Thanksgiving is coming up. Anybody forget? Thanksgiving is coming up. We have 18 days until Thanksgiving. It takes 21 days to change a habit. And so I want to challenge all of us to do a gratitude challenge, to write down each day five things that we're grateful for. We'll come up with 105 if we go 21 days. I also want to encourage you, if you're struggling with somebody or something, a job, a situation, a person, that you write down five things every day that you're grateful for. You may have to sit there a minute, but God will show you, and I guarantee you, you will gain the power you need over the struggle if you partner with the Lord in gratitude rather than by yourself complaining. Um, It is amazing that when we type in the words, why are Christians, the top five Um, searches that come up, you know, the top five comes up that most common searches. Why are Christians judgmental, mean, Republican, ignorant, intolerant? We got to change this. We're called to change this. Everything that we do counts. There is not one thought in your mind that doesn't have an effect on your physical body, your emotional body, and your spiritual body. And when we walk away today, I want us to know that, that there is no neutral. Everything we watch on television we, we take in as part of us, and it affects our lives. Everything that we think, everything that we say has effect in the world around us. And you know what? That's a huge motivation for, for me because I have five kids that are watching me 24-7. And you know what? I am affecting their lives and how they deal with trials and, and, and problems. We have to be a church that, is called, that goes outside of these four walls that loves, that's filled with compassion, with mercy and grace and gratitude. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're made to do. And that's the glaring question with us at the last, through the workers in the vineyard, is are you even working in the vineyard? 
are we working in the vineyard? We were not saved so that we can go to church. You came to church today, God is pleased. But there is so much beyond that that God is calling us to. And like I said, if you're struggling, you need to get with somebody. Get with the prayer team. We're calling the prayer team down now too. And if you're struggling with something, I encourage you, let's pray until we get breakthrough. We've seen God do amazing things here. But in order to, do, to, to be different, we must do different. This is our life purpose. It is, this is what feeds us and fuels us. You know how when the disciples were, when the, Jesus was, with the, was with the, the woman at the well, and the disciples were like, where were you? What were you doing? You need to eat. And he's like, I have food that you know nothing of. Because ministering to people, being ministers of reconciliation, that's our calling. That's what feeds us. And perhaps we were not being, we don't feel fed, we don't feel fueled. It's because we're not doing the work in the vineyard. We might be standing along the sidelines, just looking and, and, and making notes and criticizing the workers in the vineyard. But we need to get in there. And I guarantee you, we will be so fulfilled when we begin. We are called, we are commanded, we are commissioned to change the world. That is our commission. And we have to, as people of God, to be able to get out of our seat, get out of our comfort zone. You know, the other day, it was um, on that same Thursday, and I, where I, w- I was asking a guy, the Lord just told me, ask him what he needs prayer for. And I asked him, I said, okay, what do you need prayer for? And he said, I want a lover. I, I want a husband. Now my eight-year-old standing right here. And I'm thinking, oh, all right. I'm like, all right, give me your hand. And I prayed for the lover of his soul, for him to meet the lover of his soul and everything that he's looking for in love in the world to be found in the lover of his soul because I said, he loves you and he wants so much for you. And you know the amazing thing about that? I told you, when I saw the guy with the gun, my little girl, my eight-year-old was right there. And if you know her, you know she doesn't miss a thing. She saw nothing. When I was asking the guy if he needed prayer, she's right by my side. She heard nothing. And you know, the takeaway of that is when we're doing the work of the Lord, he takes care of his own. He took care of this little girl who does not miss a beat. Praise you, Lord. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.